Good morning, everyone. That was really quiet. Good morning, everyone. Just want to make sure we're all awake here today. Sorry. There are a lot of things that are vying for your attention, like every day, right? We live in a society right now where every single advertisement, every content creator out there, all kinds of things want your attention. They want your eyeballs. They want your time. They want you thinking about what they're producing or what they're selling, what they're putting out there into the world. They want you to stop what you're doing and give them your attention, give them your time. And actually to the point now where our devices, our phones, our tablets or whatever, there's now a marketing feature that allows us to focus in a lot of these devices. You could set up your phone now to have a focus mode so that no notifications or pop-ups or little annoying dings or, or bells come to your way and distract you during the day. Sean and I were just talking not too long ago about how when we, both of us, when we, when we go to sleep, there's a, there's a setting in our phone where we make sure that our phone doesn't wake us up in the middle of the night. And I just happened to text Sean one night right before that focus mode took effect, and he got the message. He said, I was just about to fall asleep, but then I heard your message. And sometimes people get our attention. They want our attention. They want to talk to us in the middle of the night, and they want to, they want to, they want to reach out and get our focus. And you know, I don't want to pile on here, but unfortunately, while the world and everyone else in the world wants your attention, God wants your attention too. And of course, as we think about the attention that God wants, we know that God wants your full attention. He wants your undivided attention. God wants you to think about serious spiritual things all the time. And if, if any advertiser or content creator could get that from you, I mean, they would be rolling in the dough. God wants your attention. He wants your focus, and he wants that in a way that's undivided. And that's where when we get to passages like Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, actually we're going to spend most of our time here in Hebrews, so come with me to Hebrews. Hebrews is really all about getting our focus, getting our attention, helping us to see some things and to just settle into the facts about who God is, what God has done, and most importantly, who Jesus is. And we're going we're gonna to look at the focus that God wants us to have for his son, Jesus, here in just a second. But I have to kind of take an aside. As we're talking about focus, as we're talking about this lesson, and we're introducing these things, yesterday I was getting ready to put my slides together. And I was getting ready to, to do all, everything in PowerPoint like I always do, or Keynote, or whatever. I was going to make everything all, all pretty and whatever. And you know what I said? I said, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm, I don't want to distract myself today with slides and all of that. So I asked my daughter to do my slides for me this morning. I gave her the job this, yesterday morning, and I said, listen, daughter who I love, here's my points. Here, here's my list. She said, well, what colors do you want me to use, Dad? What do, you want me to, what do you want it to look like? I said, I don't care. You just do whatever you want. Just make sure that it has this stuff on the, on the screen. And so about an hour and a half later, after I was running errands, doing a lot of other things, I came back and there were watercolors and there were art supplies and the entire kitchen table was just it exploded with my slides. And so 
Funny enough, and I didn't talk about this with her, we didn't have this discussion ahead of time, but funny enough, the art and the graphic style that she decided to use was about birds. She decided to include birds in my slides. And I was like, why did you decide to put birds in the slide? And she had a good reason for it, because she likes the color blue. And she wanted to do the sky, and she wanted to put birds in there, because the sky was blue, and the birds were there, and it would fill up. The, and I was like, well, that's awesome. I didn't tell her this until right now. But birds is how I'm going to start this lesson. Birds was my introduction. Because if you go back to Luke chapter 12 and you look at what Jesus says in his, this is sort of the parallel account of the great Sermon on the Mount. In the parallel account in this, in this great Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has something to say in verse 24. And it is about anxiety. He's trying to address anxiety here. And what he says in verse 24 is, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither... They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than these birds? What does Jesus say? How do we combat anxiety? He says, consider. Consider. What Jesus is calling his audience to do is to focus. He wants you to turn off the notifications. He wants you to go into a spiritual focus mode and focus not on this book, although that's important, not on yourself or your friends or your life, that, that's important as well. He wants you to focus on the birds. Consider the birds. Consider the ravens, as he's going to go on later on to talk in, in Matthew chapter 7, in the parallel account with that. He doesn't use the word consider. He uses the word look at the birds. And that's where it takes us to Hebrews chapter 3. When I'm thinking about how God wants our focus, how God wants us to fill our hearts, fill our minds with things, this Greek word that's used there in Luke chapter 12, twice, by the way, for consider, we see here in Hebrews chapter 3, this same Greek word is used. As the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now, that feels much more spiritual to us, I think, right? That feels much more appropriate for a church service and a, and a sermon and a religious conversation than thinking about birds. You know, it would be kind of weird if I got up this whole sermon and all we did was just talk about the birds. But I think it feels much more appropriate, and especially as the Hebrews writer is trying to get us to see, it is much more appropriate and important for us to focus our full attention on Jesus. And isn't that, as you know about the, the book of Hebrews, as you've studied the book of Hebrews, maybe you've gone through and you've, you've been participating in the class that, that we did not too long ago about the book of Hebrews, Maybe you'll start to see and, and make the connection that isn't that really the whole purpose of the book? To consider Jesus, to think about Jesus, to focus on Jesus. And what does it mean to consider something if it doesn't mean to fill our minds and our hearts with thoughts of that thing? Whatever that is, as we, as Jesus would say, consider the birds, what he's asking you to do is just sit and think for a while. 
focus for a while on the birds. As you would talk about later there, consider the lilies. Think about the flowers. And here in the, in the book of Hebrews, he says, consider Jesus. That is so important. For if, if we were to spend our lives doing anything of value of, or of importance, it would be this. It would be considering Jesus. If you want to fill your heart or fill your mind with anything useful or productive or, or wonderful, it is to think about Jesus. And I think so often for us, when we, when we look at passages like this, they're sort of those throwaway passages, in my mind. It, it, this almost feels like a throwaway statement. It could feel like that, I think. Oh, to consider something. Oh, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to spend, you know, seven seconds thinking about it and then move on to some other distraction, right? Oh, oh, there, my, my Uber order is almost here, or, you know, the... The, the, the dishwasher is done, or what? Like all the distractions that come your way could easily take your consideration, take your thought, take your focus away from Jesus. So, are we on the same page? I want to talk for just a little bit about focusing on Jesus, considering Jesus, and I want to dig down into what I think that means. Because I think it's a lot more than just a mental exercise. Yes, consider is a verb. So we could just very well say that this is an action that we do, something, some step we take, considering Jesus is something that we can do. But I think as we think about Jesus, as we meditate and, and really just fill Jesus up in our hearts, I think it changes who we are. And let's talk about that for a few minutes. So my first point this morning, again, we're going to really just stick with Hebrews. There are plenty of other passages that we could look at. But I want to look right here at Hebrews chapter 3, because we stopped the reading right there. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And then he goes on, and he says, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is about to compare, he is about to compare Jesus to Moses. And he's going to hold Jesus up alongside Moses, as he's going to do and already has done throughout this great sermon book in Hebrews. He's going to talk about how and compare Jesus to the angels, compare Jesus to Abraham, compare Jesus to all of these things, and he's going to, at, all, at the end of all of this, say that Jesus is far better. Jesus is everything. But notice here what he calls Jesus the apostle and high priest. I think we jump to high priest, and we think about Jesus in that way, and we say, well, that makes a lot of sense. Jesus is the high priest. He's the one who goes before us to God. He is the mediator. He brings God's will to us, and he brings our thoughts and concerns to God. It, it's very easy for us, I think, to see Jesus as the high priest. But the word apostle is never used in reference to Jesus except for in this verse. And that's cool. Because as we think about the apostles, we think about Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and all of their friends. We think about Paul the apostle. We think about people, men, who were sent by God. But the, the writer here is saying that Jesus is the apostle. He is the one sent by God. He's the one with a mission from the master. And he's the one out proclaiming. And actually, isn't that exactly what we see in passages like John chapter 17, verse 18, where, where Jesus himself would talk in this great prayer to the Father, as you have sent me, 
so I send them. He's sending his apostles out like God sent him, Jesus, his only son, as an apostle out into the world. And so the, the points here that he's making, the Hebrew writer is making, is that Jesus is an apostle. Think differently about Jesus. I don't know how you've thought about Jesus in the past. Have you ever thought about Jesus as an apostle? Sometimes we think about him as a high priest, and we should for sure. But then we go over to passages like Hebrews chapter 12, and we continue this conversation seeing Jesus in a very different way. We see Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. It says there, consider him, again, the same idea, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know what we do when we think about Jesus, when we consider him? We consider him as the apostle, as the high priest, but also as the suffering servant. Jesus suffered, and we need to see him as the one who suffered, and I know we do that. I know we do that on a weekly basis. We think about Jesus. We consider Jesus and his suffering and the death, and we're going to do that again this morning. But it's a good thing for us to see Jesus in all of these different ways. And of course, as he's going on and talking about Jesus, in all of these instances here in the book of Hebrews, we see him as the king. We see him as the Christ, as the anointed one, as the one who God put in place to be over everything. He is everything. And here's the point. When we consider Jesus, we look at him. We look at Jesus. It's important for us as we consider Jesus to look at him. Because I think a lot of people see Jesus in their mind or they have an idea of who Jesus is, and that is like a surface-scratching, superficial way of seeing Jesus. They see Jesus as the, the meek and the gentle. They see Jesus as the one who would never hurt a fly. They see Jesus as the one who accepted everybody. And of course, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Of course, Jesus sat with the Samaritan woman at the well, a woman, not, no, no less, and a Samaritan. We see Jesus in his love and his mercy. But then, of course, we see Jesus in his extreme frustration with a people who should have known better. The religious leaders and the Pharisees, those people who eventually put him to death. His zeal for the house of the Lord as he went in and whipped the people out of the, of the temple for their profanity, really. For their disrespect and their dishonor. Jesus is multifaceted. And as we consider Jesus, we see Jesus as multifaceted. And that, that just makes sense, right? Because aren't you that way? Aren't you a multifaceted person? Don't you wear a lot of hats? You think about yourself. I think about myself. And I'm, I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a super big nerd. Like, depending on how you view me, you'll see me in different contexts. And, and I may look like a very different person to you, but I'm the same person. And you know what we like to do sometimes? And this is unfortunate. We like to boil someone down to some really simplified you know, description or explanation. Oh, you know, the guy with the face or the, you know, the guy with the job or the guy who does this or the girl who, who 
whatever, and we'll, we'll simplify people down and, and sort of minimize people to a one little ideal, one little concept. Jesus is not the kind of person that deserves that treatment. We need to see Jesus, we need to consider Jesus as we look at him and understand who he is. Are you on board with me? Do we, do we see the value in that? Because when I see Jesus as the apostle, it means that he's not acting on his own accord. And so Jesus is not with pride and pomp walking into every circumstance because, no, he's there with a message from his master. That changes the way I see Jesus. As we think about Jesus, as we're going to do today, as we think about Jesus suffering on the cross, that changes how I view him. And I need to see and understand every aspect of Jesus and not just walk away thinking that Jesus is this way or that way or a way that makes me comfortable. I want to see the real Jesus, the fullness of Jesus. I want to understand who he is when I look at him, when I consider him. And by the way, you're never going to do that unless you're in the book. You're never going to come to a full and complete understanding of who Jesus is by reading some online publication or listening to some person talk. You are only going to come to a real, deep, multifaceted understanding of who Jesus is by considering him in his word. So Bible study is a big piece of this. But then not only do we look at him, because I think that's what... The, the book of Hebrews is really all about is trying to get us to, to focus our attention to consider Jesus and see who he really is. But as we move forward, and this is a slight distinction, but I think it's a really important one, we not only look at him, but then we look to him. The difference is really subtle there, right? We look at him as we think about who he is and we, we study about him, we learn about him, but then we look to him. And we need to see that we are connected to him. When, and, and as you all know, in our house, when we, when, when certain, oh, I say we, when certain people start to see that the milk is running low in our house, they look to me, right? They see me as the one who will step in and, and fix that problem. They see me as the one who is responsible and who is reliable and who can be counted on to resupply the home with milk. That's my job. That's what I do. And we need to see that, that Jesus is somebody we can count on. That when difficult times are happening, when our life is challenging, when everything is up in the air, when we're just in the, in the, the depth of despair for one reason or another, I hope that you have somebody in your life that you can look to, that you can lean on, that you can take comfort in or have counsel from. But if you had no one else, Jesus was always there. Jesus was always there, someone who you could rely on, who you could count on, who you could look to. And that is exactly what we saw there in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This great passage, obviously, we all know. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, right after that great listing of all the faithful there in, in, in chapter 11, this powerful therefore transition statement, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us. We're on a race. We're, we're running a marathon. And while we do that, we look to Jesus. We don't just look at Jesus. We look to him. Why do we look to him? How can we look to him? Because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who went before us, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In this great marathon race that we are running in our life, Jesus has already gone before us. He's done it. He knows what we're going to go through. He knows what we have been through, and he understands. He's not some distant character like Abraham Lincoln. I don't look to Abraham Lincoln, by the way. I can look at him. I can study Abraham Lincoln. I can understand who that man was, but I don't look to him. I don't feel like he's connected to me, but Jesus is. I can look to Jesus because he's gone before me. He's connected to me. And it means that as I consider Jesus, I'm not just considering some, some distant figure long ago. I'm considering the Son of God who is near to me and who loves me and who suffers like I'm going to suffer and who understands what I'm going through and who can accurately mediate on my behalf to God the Father as the perfect high priest. Isn't that cool? I mean, don't, don't, don't skip over the fact that we get to look to Jesus. That Jesus, in all of our study, in all of our consideration, in the focus that we give to Jesus, we can focus on Jesus knowing that he loves us, knowing that he's been there, and he understands. That's powerful for me. That changes the game. When I look to Jesus, and I see him, and I, and I rely on him, I trust him. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we not only look at Jesus in our study and understanding who he is, we not only look to him, but then I think most importantly, we imitate him. That, that's really where this, this verb of considering Jesus really kind of has its, its obvious impact in our life. Because a lot of the things we just talked about is, are kind of mental activities, right? We, we think about Jesus, we, we put Jesus in our mind, we meditate on him, we roll over these things, we trust in him, we, we, we look to him and rely on him, but here we imitate him. And people can start to see how we imitate him, how our life now changes when we imitate him, when we do the same kinds of things that he did, when we live in the same kinds of ways that he lived. And I think it's so powerful for us to see that his sacrifice leads us to sacrifice. As we consider Jesus, as we're about to do this morning again, as we think about Jesus and we think about his sacrifice, we want to do what he did. We want to live like he lived. And you know what it's like to imitate someone, right? Was, we were looking back through some family photos. We were down in the nostalgia rabbit hole this week. and. I just realized, I think as a little kid, how much I imitated all the big, big boys around me. You know, there's, there's, I had these photos of them, uh, all these guys, big guys, you know, Greg Duckworth was there, you know, all these, my dad, all these people, they're all just riding their ATVs and they got their tank tops on and they got the mustaches and everything and it's, you know, like the, the mid 80s or whatever. 
And then you see me, little, little white, pale, chubby-bellied kid, and I got my little battery-powered ATV, too, just like the big boys. I'm down there in the bushes, hiding behind the bushes with my plastic machine gun while they're all out shooting the real guns. Now, my favorite, one of my favorite pictures is me with my little plastic chainsaw. And I'm trying to cut down a big tree while, while the actual real people are doing the, the actual work chopping down a tree behind me. You know, imitating those who we look to is something we all, we all get. When you love somebody, when you're connected to somebody, when you really see the value in someone else, you want to be like them. You want to follow in their footsteps. You want to talk like them. You want to dress like them. You want to act like them. And this is much more, when we think about Jesus, when we consider Jesus, is much more than just dressing like Jesus. You know, I know sometimes we people talk about, oh, well, you got your sandals on today. Well, yeah, Jesus wore sandals. Okay, well, fine. That's great. You know, it, it's not about dressing like Jesus or, or living our lives in sort of a minimal sort of way like Jesus did. It's far more about sacrificing like Jesus. And that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. This is one of the hardest passages, by the way, for me to read. Like, the Hebrew writer really, he saves almost the best for last in his book for me. Because we get to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. He says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus was rejected. He was cast out of the city. He didn't even get to suffer among his own people. He had to be sent disgracefully outside the gate. He suffered outside the gate, and then he says in verse 13, therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. When we talk about imitating Jesus, we're not just talking about a superficial imitation. We're talking about sacrificing our lives outside the camp. This world is not our home. I'm out there. I'm an outsider. You are an outsider when we imitate Jesus. We let people hate us. We let people disgrace us. We don't care if people reproach our name and call us whatever they want to call us because that's what they did to Jesus and we are outside the camp with him. Considering Jesus, looking to him, looking at him, makes us want to be like him. And not just in a flowery, superficial kind of way, but in a deep, meaningful, sacrificial kind of way. We go outside the camp. Because he says in verse 14, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We give up our stuff. We give up our time. We give of our attention to other people because he gave it all to us. So to consider Jesus is not just an exercise where we're sitting quietly on a pillow in our house. To consider Jesus is to be like him in sacrifice. And that is powerful. And that is visible. But then we also trust him. We trust him. 
We trust what he says. We trust that his promises are faithful and true. We believe him. And that, that's kind of challenging, I think, for us. Because don't you know that the more inspection you give to a subject, the more you realize the faults and the cracks? I, was, I got really close to Sherilyn this week, and I was looking at her real close. And I could see all the gray hair. By the way, gray hair for me, that's a plus. I love the gray hair. Gray hair is beautiful. The wrinkles, the little eyebrow wrinkles, the crow's feet on your those are beautiful. And the more you look, the more you start to see those things. But from a distance, you kind of gloss over it, right? You don't see those things. It's harder to see. But then when you get close, you start to see the cracks. You start to see the things that, that are you know, a little bit hidden when you're further away. And the, the, the deeper that we get into thinking about Jesus, you're never going to find the crack. You're never going to find the, oh, well, that's where it all breaks down right there. Well, I finally studied enough. I found the secret code and the, the, the key that unlocks the whole thing. And there's where I can throw out Jesus' authority. No way. The deeper you look, the more fine-grained that you investigate into Jesus and his words and his, his truth and his life, you're never going to find the cracks because they're not there. And I believe that when Jesus says that we'll spend eternity with him in paradise, that we will be there in this home that he's prepared for us, I believe that. When he says that we should commit our lives to him and live lives of holiness before him, I believe that he will give me what he says that he promised to do. And so we trust him. We trust him. Because as it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse, or 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, because of Jesus' death, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful as we consider jesus we learn to trust him and doesn't it make sense to trust him he loves us so much that he died for you what more do you want from jesus what more do you want from a loving God than to give you his own son's life? I'll believe whatever he says, because I know it's true. Because I know he's true, and I know he's trustworthy. And the more I study about him, the more I consider him, the more I can trust him. And I hope you can trust him too. That's what considering Jesus helps us to do. But finally, Considering Jesus helps us to honor him. The more we think about him, the more we put him into our heart, the more we wake up in the morning and appreciate his great sacrifice for us, the more we want to do everything in our lives to show that sacrifice honor and respect. You ever have somebody come over to your house and they're going to work on something, and they, what do they do when they come in? They take their shoes off before they come in. You can tell that somebody is is respectful of you, who's thinking seriously about you as a customer when they take their shoes off before they come in. Or, you know, maybe they'll put like those, those uh, like hairnet booties on their feet 
and they'll, they'll wear those around your house just to make sure that they're, they're not disrespecting your home. But sometimes we, as people, we put our big, muddy, dirty boots all over what Jesus has sanctified and washed. Sometimes by our sin, by our choices, we make things just completely muddy and dirty. And that's what he talks about in verse 26 of of Hebrews chapter 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. We trample underfoot the blood of Jesus when we go on sinning, when we continue to live lives of sin, when he's washed us clean, when he wants us to be holy and to honor him, we will, as he talks about there, be trampling underfoot the Son of God and profaning the blood of the covenant. Do you want to be guilty of that? By your life, by your choices, do you want to be trampling underfoot Jesus' sacrifice in his blood? When we consider Jesus, we realize how seriously our conduct is before him. We realize how much our holiness matters to God. And we wash ourselves because he's washed us with his son's blood. And we don't dishonor Jesus' sacrifice by dabbling around in sin. We don't dishonor Jesus' sacrifice by, by using coarse language or going to places we shouldn't go or watching things we shouldn't watch. No, we honor Jesus. We honor his sacrifice by staying pure. It's not to say we're perfect. Because we are certainly not. And by God's grace, we will be saved, not not as a result of our works, but as a result of his righteousness and his love for us. But all the more, don't we want to appreciate that and show our appreciation by living holy lives of godliness before him? Honoring him, respecting him. So we talk about considering Jesus. And it feels like a throwaway phrase, right? Oh, we just consider, let's consider Jesus for seven seconds. Ready, go. (laughs) But I think when we actually stop and consider Jesus, fill our hearts with Jesus every single day, give him our focus, give him our attention, turn that spiritual focus mode on and leave it on, thinking about Jesus, I think it changes the game. Changes the game for me. Because Jesus is everything. Would you agree? Jesus is everything, and he's done everything for you. And if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to him, then you need to consider Jesus for the first time. You need to think about who he is and what he's done for you. You're not going to be converted to a church. You're not going to be baptized so that you can just be, be a part of the club. right? You are going to be baptized, if that's your choice, to be baptized into his death added to his family, where he is your head, he is your high priest, he is your suffering servant. He's going to save you. I'm not going to do that. Sean's not going to do that. Only Jesus and his blood will do that. If you're ready to give your life to him, please come as we stand and say.